Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Ask Mike Randall Show, we talk about how we use force plates to document progress for both our sports performance and our injury rehabilitation process. The Ask Mike Reinhold Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure you knew about my free online course on the introduction to performance therapy and training. If you want to learn how to get started optimizing and enhancing performance, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash performance to sign up today. Back everybody to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. We're here at Champion PT and Performance answering your questions. I'm here today with Kevin Coughlin, DeWesh Podell, Mike Scaduto, Jonah Monlock, Lenny Macrina, and Dan Pope answering anything you really want to talk about, but sports performance, sports PT, career advice, we're here for you. Head to MikeRonald.com, click on that podcast link, and you can ask your question for a future episode. Len, who do we have for students today from the Bostonian crew? We have some good Boston students that are not from Boston. We have uh, Tiffany Walker from Baylor University down in beautiful, hot Texas. Claire Farley from Tufts University right here in Medford, Massachusetts. Maybe the Boston campus, maybe Tufts Medical, um, or it could be the new Arizona campus or California campus or Oregon campus. I don't know. Um, or Colin Silver from UAB, University of Alabama at Birmingham. Not Roll Tide, go Blazers. <laughs> uh, I think Claire's campus is her her living room, but that's a that's a whole other <laughs> that's a different story. Yeah. New vir- <laughs> vir- virtual program, which which is a really neat thing. Maybe we get to do an episode on the virtual PT programs too, or the hybrids. I should say, not virtual. That's misleading. But anyway, uh, Claire, what do we have for a question today? All right, today we have a question from Tom from Wisconsin. Tom asks, I know from social media that Champion has been using force plates with their sports performance athletes. Can you share some of the things that you have learned? What progress have you seen and what adjustments have you made to your programming based on what you've learned? Awesome. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Tom from Wisconsin. Um, I, again, another good question. We get some really good questions from some of the listeners here, but, um, you know, uh, you know, force plates are one of those things that I think a lot of people are slowly incorporating into their practices, both sports performance, physical therapy, that sort of thing. And if you're like us, when you first get started, you're inundated with information and you're like stunned with the amount of stuff that you can see. Right. And then you have to kind of like take a big step back and say, well, what's important to me and what can we do? So, um, heck it's been, um, you know, we've had, we've had quite a few, uh, years of experience now, like slowly building up our, our force plate and the data that we have at champion. So why don't we start with Jonah? So Jonah's the director of our sports science. Duesh is our director of our performance here. I think you guys can really comment on some of the things we've seen, but what I particularly liked about what Tom said is not only like, what have we seen from the progress, but what have we learned and what are we doing different because of all this amazing information we now have? Uh, Jonah, you want to, you want to start? that one yeah um first i'll say is definitely just learned how complicated it all is um 
and how impressive it is for people who like truly, truly understand this. Some of the researchers that I've learned a lot from like Dan Cohen or Paul Comfort. Um, so that's the first one. It is really complicated when you first get into it. You go through those waves where you start to think you understand things and then you run a few more people through tests and their results don't make sense to you. Um, but I think over, yeah, that last year and a half or so that we've been using them definitely have actually started to understand more. And I think a big piece of that is just understanding how different variables tie in with one another. Um, so I think it's important to kind of start with your main measures that you care about that you think just represent general athleticism for everybody um, and really start to understand those. So ones we're using is like jump height, RSI modified. But then from there, even to understand that is using things like uh, counter movement depth and the uh, contraction time or time to take off to bring context to stuff. So I think that's the big piece is just adding more and more context as time goes on and as you start to understand things while still remembering to try to keep it simple and going back to the main measures that I do understand. Um, and where we've really progressed, I would say, is learning how to pick the extra measures that matter for the specific athlete in front of us. So when we're doing a return to play type scenario, maybe somebody's getting handed off to us or we're in that transition phase from PT and asymmetries become much more important for those people. So understanding asymmetries, understanding how to how to program for asymmetries within different phases of the jump. Um and kind of that sphere of things, whereas say for a baseball hitter who just wants to increase their exit velocity, um, we have different measures we'll look at for those. So just we've been able to progress by understanding a wider number of measures um, and how they apply to the different populations that we deal with. And then the programming, I mean, there's all sorts of different changes we've made. Um, most of it's still the same. Uh, training is complicated, but you, at the same time, keeping it simple works for most people. But understanding how to make the little tweaks more accurately to work on those measures that we've identified are important for the person in front of us. Um, so if it's a rehab case and we have big asymmetries leaning heavily on single leg stuff and um, like jump variations that are going to force them to use the leg that they're not comfortable using. Um, and maybe at different speeds, depending on where we see the asymmetries throughout. Um, or if we are just trying to improve athletic performance and we see that there's somebody who's struggling within a certain phase of their jump and that's what's limiting. Um, so they struggle eccentrically. Then within strength training, um, we can kind of more accurately apply heavy eccentrics for them. Something we've always used, but now we have a better reason to use it. Um, and then loaded jumps, things that force them to throw on the brakes well as quick um, eccentrics but basically as we've understood those measures more and how they relate to one another and how people can be good or bad jumpers for different reasons it's just finding the exercise that targets whichever measure it is that they're lacking and that we've identified we want to work on yeah that's great and, and I, i'd reiterate what jonah said here too is that it, you know the data we're getting for us plates it's not it's not dramatically changing everything we do. Uh, on one front, I think it's it's actually you know giving us a little bit more information that what we do works, right? But more importantly, I, it's it's more about finding that small variable. 
when we're talking about elite level athletes, right? And we're talking about people that are either trying to get back or trying to take it to the next level. We're talking about getting that 1% better sometimes, right? So the more data and the more streamlined and focused you can be on one thing, I think the, the better, right? And I, I, I think that's one thing is don't expect anything to be crazy. It's just more that, you know, what can we do to really streamline this, right? Uh, Dewey, what do you think from your perspective? What, have, what do you think about what we've seen with the forest plate data and the progressions? Yeah, I think I think it's definitely been very valuable. I want to kind of reiterate something that Jonas said that I think is the biggest thing to keep in mind is you really do have to do a good job of simplifying what can be really complex. Um, I know, like when we first started, like we were thinking about all these different tests that we would do, all these different measures that we'd look at. When in reality, like there's probably a few really good tests that can give us a lot of insight that helps us bucket athletes in certain categories. And then figure out, you know, where their deficits may lie. And then there's certain metrics within those specific tests that's going to help us kind of gain more insight into their output, their strategy, uh, maybe even fatigue markers like counter movement depth. Um, you know, your eccentric duration are going to be the market for fatigue and stuff like that. So what we've really done is we've relied heavily on just the counter movement jump as our main test, where we get a pretty good idea of overall output, some fatigue measures some asymmetry measures and a good bit of insight into how we can improve someone's force production, their velocity eccentrically and concentrically to be able to get greater outcomes. Um, and then the other test that we've used that maybe gives us slightly different information um, is our squat jump, which, you know, when we compare the squat jump compared to the counter movement jump, we get a little bit more of the eccentric utilization ratio. We see if someone's, you know, good at using their stretch running cycle or not. Um, and then we use a hop test to calculate the RSI, which gives us a little bit more insight into their fast stress running cycles. So this is going to be a little bit more relevant to, let's say, your top end sprinting speeds and things of that nature. And then our last test, using an isometric mid thigh pull to figure out, you know, peak force and rate of force development. Um, this is, you know, again, like Jonah said, it, it's kind of confirmed a lot of what we do works, but it does give us insight as far as where within these tests are the weaknesses for the athletes and maybe even like what's their superpower, right? Like what are they really good at? Let's not lose sight of that. If they're, let's say if their RSI is incredible and they're really made to be really elastic and bouncy and, you know, top end sprinting might be their strengths. Let's make sure that we keep hammering that stuff. So we're, you know, we're helping them realize their superpowers even more, but then, you know, they might be, not very good at producing this concentric force and we do need to fill that weakness a little bit so we're going to have periods of time where we're filling those weaknesses in our training let's say early off season and then let's say they're getting closer to competition season we want them to look organic to you know them and what makes them a good athlete so again it, it's more so just create a little bit more context for us as far as what we change in our programming how we approach our periodization from you know an early off season you know getting someone ready for preseason and you know jumping into in season um, and then, you know, like Jonah said, we have someone that's on the rehab and performance spectrum. Maybe we have some slightly different measures that help us, helps us stay on track with, you know, what's really the low hanging, low hanging fruit and not getting too carried away with, all right, let's just get someone really, really strong. Well, what does strong mean? You know, do we need a little bit more unilateral strength because they have a way bigger deficit than we realized in the past when we didn't have ways to measure this stuff. So I, I think information is where we've, gotten a lot so it's, it's hard to answer like here's the best protocol because you know we're still learning this stuff and we're figuring it out but <laughs> yeah there's there's a lot of learning along the way there's a lot of good discussions along the way and you know, we're lucky to have someone like jonah who does a lot of research on this stuff or 
a lot of learning on this stuff, and he kind of you know dumps it down for the rest of us to <laughs> break down the physics and the and the crazy stuff that happens behind the scenes with all these metrics. So. <laughs> I I agree. Uh, you know, having somebody that wants to dig in deep and and help give you some shortcuts as to what to look at is very helpful. So, uh, if you're just getting started with force plates, you should definitely consider like trying to make somebody the lead at your facility. I think it'll help. Um, why don't we answer this from one more perspective, maybe from the PT perspective here? So we, that's sports performance, right? But we're using the force plates in our, our return um, from rehab too to just document some progress and stuff. Uh, anybody want to jump in and kind of talk about their experience with the force plates and 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 showing um, how we've used that to progress? Um, I don't know, Dave. You want to start with that? Yeah, I can share mine. Just kind of the, the bridge to Duesh and um, in your general work with people. And I know Dan's done a lot with like the powerlifters and like seeing them squat or deadlift. So I think that'd be good input too. But I think there's like really good examples of when using force plates at the right time in serial measurements gives you more information and indication of like you know how far we are along the way. What are we ready for? What are we not ready for? And on our side, obviously, we use a dynamometer pretty pretty early. You know, in the in the uh, PT side of like you know ACLs or whatever. And there's two reasons it's good. One is it helps to explain to the patient, you know, maybe I'm not quite ready for everything just yet. Cause a lot of times by two months or three months, the pain is minimal. They're back to knowing life and they really want to do more. And then you, you know, I can think of one athlete that Duesh and I work with who is in college. And then another one that um, Joan and I had, who is a high school, really high level female, um, uh, post ACL for like lacrosse. And, you know, both of them, when we got to that mark of measuring their knee extension and hamstring torque, they're both like, Whoa, I had like a 60% quad deficit. Right. And so then you're like, okay, we have more work to do. We have to really get things going. But then you get to a point where like four months they can jump, they can run. And they, you know, a lot of these athletes are like chomping at the bit to do more. They want to, they want to play, they want to go. And then when you can give another layer of testing, like on a force plate, when they jump uh, for a counter movement squat, jump RSI, and maybe their quad strength is better, but they're 30% asymmetrical on their landing forces and their single leg development of rate of force development. It's another like eye opening moment for them. Like, Oh wait, like, okay, I still have more work to do, even though I don't hurt. And those are murky waters in PT when someone's pain is gone, but we know they're definitely not ready for really explosive power. So serial measurements are one great way to uh, help communicate between you and the patient and the strength coach of what's going on. But also is they're really great markers for me to transition someone over to Jonah and over to Duesh or the strength side, because oftentimes like I don't, we're really big and like, we don't want to waste your time and your money. If we can get all of this in a strength program, you need me for some like very specific stuff, but like four days a week, you can do a really great strength program and speed and agility program. Well, let's just understand where your deficits are like they said and understand this through the lens of like a biological tissue limitation like an acl graft or a meniscus repair or cartilage not sports performance in general and so it's a good common language for us to have conversations around about like okay what's the goal where are we going and we can look at the same numbers with the same data and then show the patient or shade the client like hey this is this is where we're going for your sport so that's the two biggest like use cases that i find myself um often often sharing Great. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Dan, I, I, I agree with Dave. I'd love to hear your thoughts too on this. Cause I know you've, you know, yeah. you've I think done Dewey this, makes um, fun of me all the time. Cause I love like the squat <laughs> symmetry test. I use it all the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I don't expand yeah. a Tell lot outside of that, although I should do a bit more, but then again, I'm also working with a lot of power lifters, right. And they're not doing a lot of jumping in their sport, maybe like a celebration afterwards. Uh, that's about it. <clears throat> but anyway, I like to look at, let's say squat symmetry, and I think oftentimes you get a lot of good information from these. I work with a lot of patients that have FAI or labral pathology, and oftentimes they're doing all sorts of weird twisting at the bottom of their squat, trying to maybe avoid whatever is provocative or painful. 
And it's really interesting because you can see how much force someone's producing with one side versus the other. If there is any sort of weight shift, sometimes it doesn't occur on the way down. Sometimes it's on the way back up. You can see exactly where that is, right? And then for me, it oftentimes will drive the interventions that I use. So I recently had another patient with a lumbar radiculopathy. We noticed a lot of weakness on one side, and it was certainly reflected in certain parts of their squat and deadlift. And I could say, all right, we need to work your strength at the bottom of your deadlift because clearly this is where the compensation is. We can pick an exercise that's very specific to getting that better. So like a kickstand Romanian deadlift, we're really driving from the floor because we know that's where the weakness is. So I think it's really nice because it, it helps with my evaluation, right? Kind of rules in our thinking. And then you can also see if there are limitations of where they lie. Uh, the last thing I will say, which is kind of funny, is that people, even with a wonky hip shift, where their hips are really twisted and one knee's point in one direction, one's point in the other. Sometimes the force plate data looks like it's symmetrical, but if you clearly look in the mirror, they've just gotten really good at twisting and pushing symmetrically between legs, you know? So I always use it in combination with a mirror, just so we get that same biofeedback. <clears throat> you still need the coach's eye, right? It's been very eye-opening to me to see like, oh, wow, that actually looks pretty symmetrical by the data, but visually it's not even close, right? So I think it's just it's a player and it helps out a lot, but it's not perfect. It doesn't give you all the information that maybe you want. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I think that's great insight though, that not a lot of people realize, right? The force plates aren't just for giving you data too, but it's also helping people um, see different things like, like, like you mentioned. So um, awesome. Uh, Kevin, did you have something too that you wanted to add? Yeah. I was just going to say that it's definitely helped me with uh, clinical decision-making as well, especially like towards the end of, of rehab for say an ACL or a, another lower extremity injury like that, where we can test like counter movement jump or squat jump and just look at the difference side to side in terms of like, if they're putting the brakes on and they're completely shifting to the uninvolved side, it, it just helps me program the right exercises. So, you know, maybe we're doing a slow tempo, single leg exercise, as well as continuing to do like double leg jumps, single leg jumps, and just trying to hone in on specific exercises to close the gaps that the force plates are telling us that we have. So it's been helpful for decision-making and like, you know, kind of like Dan said too, just, you know, the coach's eye still is very important, but um, it can help bridge the gap between kind of where they are. And then you just retest and you know, if the interventions you're doing are, are closing the gaps that you want to close. I think it's very beneficial for both you and them, right? Right. I, I was gonna say I think it's very beneficial for the for the for me for a patient or a client to see and hear that because a lot of times they think they're symmetrical or they know they're shifting but they don't know when they're shifting and so I use it a lot after my ACLs with um, you know testing four or five months out of surgery and we're already doing some strength testing they know they have a deficit but it can really for me help me to program and see are they um, always shifting to uh, the un uninvolved side during the concentric or the eccentric portion of the squat or their jump, um, or are they going back and forth? If they're just going back and forth and they're kind of shifting onto the good and bad side and they maybe are biasing both, but each rep is a little different, to me, that's a good thing, right? That's like if they're 5 or 8 or 10% shifting, but they're doing it, each rep is kind of a manipulation of that. That means they trust that leg and they're just kind of – their body's just adjusting to that particular jump. So um, I, I like to – I use them all the time. I use them serially on people um, from, say, for maybe four or five months out of surgery up until 
uh, return to play. So squat jumps, counter movement jumps, and I'm looking at that concentric data. I'm looking at the breaking data. I'm looking at the eccentric data, and I'm looking at the symmetry and when the symmetry is occurring and how um, how big of a symmetry it is and how often it's occurring. And if they're just kind of shifting back and forth, then that's a good sign in my eyes. <clears throat> awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Len. Uh, so great question, Tom. I think, you know, we're going to continue to grow and learn more and more as we just get more reps and time under our belt. But I, I think just even the way we've been applying it at our practice at Champion for sports performance and for our, our rehabs, our return to sports um, has been pretty dramatic and effective for helping us and, and helping the person, right, understand where they're at. So uh, great episode. Really appreciate everybody's insight on that. If you have a question like Tom, head to MikeRonald.com, click on that podcast link, and you can fill out the form to ask us a question and we'll keep answering as long as we keep getting the questions but anyway thank you so much see you on the next episode thanks so much for listening to the podcast if you have a question you'd like us to answer head to mikerino.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question if you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe rate and review us on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and please share this with your friends to help spread the word it would really mean so much to us Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.